0: Signed record now. So today I have Tarika Ji with me. Tarika Nath is a 23 year old Kathakar from Houston. She is a financial planner by day and an assistant instructor at the Shivangani Academy of Performing Arts, which is run by her mother, Srimati Shivamathar, and who is also a guru. Tarika Ji, how are you?
1: Namaste, Prameji. It's good to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, good to speak with you too. So I guess I'll just start off with how I met you. Um, the New York Kathak meetup has a, uh, has a monthly session where a tatkar practice is led by one one of the people. So this is the month when I decided to join in. And, I, and, 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 and this is my fault because I jumped in kind of late. Mm-hmm. But when I jumped in, um, there were jumping jacks going on. And I'm fairly new to Kathak, so I'm not used to different styles of tatkar. I'm just used to like you know, hitting your feet slowly. So I, I just, I just started doing jumping jacks out of the blue. And it was a very interesting tatkar session. Um, but could you tell us a little bit more about your methodology, ji?
1: Of course. And, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned that. Um, I gave a small little spiel about what we were going to do before. And uh, the the biggest thing before you do tatkar that I think a lot of, a lot of katakars believe in is having a good warm up and a a good warm-up session, a good session of stretches in order to help our body become um, prepared for this strenuous activity that you are about to put on your legs, on your hips, um, on your mind. And so I like to go into a quick warm-up session where I get my heartbeat uh, racing quite a bit, Um, jumping jacks, uh, abdominal muscle exercises, things like that, running in place, then I take it to the floor, I do some of my favorite yoga uh, stretches that allow me to really, really have, uh, develop the flexibility in in my legs so that when I go ahead and do the for for hours at a time, that I'm able to do so uh, while preventing injury to myself. And so I'm glad that you were able to see those jumping jacks. (laughs) I definitely don't do them all the time, but, definitely think it's useful to get your heartbeat up.
0: Yes. Um, I, I will definitely say it was a good, uh, good session. Definitely got my heartbeat up, got myself in the zone for that. So if you do another one, I'm looking forward to that. And Absolutely. I guess on the other spectrum of uh, getting a heart heartbeat up, uh, I know for you uh, taking breaks in that car is a big thing for you. Could you talk a little bit about why that is?
1: Yes. So when I do that car and this, It's not really about taking breaks um, specifically within Thakkar, but rather taking breaks within your Riyaz in general. I really believe strongly that your Riyaz is the most powerful, the most productive, and really the most beautiful when you are 100% into it. My mother says that 100% of your mind, your body, and your soul should be in your Riyaz. You should give it your 100% one hundred percent undivided self. So, just in general, for me, I've been noticing that with myself, my and my riyas for the past couple of weeks to a couple of months, for now during the pandemic, that my body has been in riyas, my soul has been in my riyas, but my mind sometimes struggles, and um, I think it's because of this pandemic, the uh, effects of it, um, the circumstances that are concerning our country right now, and just in general, myself, and the personal struggles that I am currently going through that I have to bring to my riyas session. And when I force myself to do something as strenuous as Tarkar for a full hour, or even if it's not Tarkar, but it's practicing Tukras, Tihais, Parans, my genuine riyas session, it's difficult for me to sometimes put all myself there when I know that there is something inside of me that leads my mind to wander. And I think we kind of have this mentality, especially because social media kind of uh, makes up Riyaz to sometimes be this blissful event where you know, your soul is reaching a new height and you are feeling so incredibly happy when you come out of your Riyaz. And I think that's amazing for some people, but. I really, really doubt that that's how Riaz is all the time. Um, Riaz can be a very painful experience for some people. It can be a very personal, vulnerable experience for some people. And I know it's definitely painful and vulnerable for me at times. So taking Riaz slow, not being too aggressive all the time, and just really, really focusing on easing into it and truly enjoying the process is the best way that I feel like I can make Riaz a, um, a part of my life, not just something that I have to do every day because I want to be a good dancer or because my mom tells me to, but because it truly brings me peace and joy to do so. So navigating breaks, um, figuring out what works best for you is very important to me.
0: Okay. And to expand on this a bit, I guess, um, since you're talking about being mentally not all there sometimes and if you ever start a session and you feel you're not there mentally, what are the steps you can take that you might recommend to others that can help them either get into the zone or just take it easy on themselves?
1: Definitely. I'm really glad you asked that because I have a very specific example just a week ago or two weeks ago in which I actually experienced this exact um, exact sentiment where I was doing riyaz. And uh, my phone was connected to Bluetooth because I was putting iLehera on, which is the metronome that we, we use to uh, keep, the, keep the beat so that we can practice our speeds on tatkar and progress through le and rhythm. And um, it was the same day that uh, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, who for me was a really big idol for me, a very big inspiration to me. And uh, when she passed away, I was in several group chats, like WhatsApp, Facebook, iMessage, and all of them went off at the same time. And so it caused me to stop my Ria, stop the Bluetooth and look at my phone. And when I saw the news, my heart just broke. And I remember just staring at myself in the mirror for like 20 minutes continuously as the metronome kept playing, as a earthly theme file just kept playing over and over. I just couldn't believe it was happening. And it was, uh, it was a, it was very, I was very exhausted just at, at that point with other things happening in our country as well. Um, politics is extremely dear to me. So, you know, I remember thinking that, you know what? I just want to take a break and uh, just stop this because I am not in a good place right now to do guard in Jagun for the next 20 minutes of the day. And so I did it was as simple as that. I simply stopped. And I think that I felt more powerful when I did so because I know that I'll return. I know that I just need to take a break for 20 or 30 minutes and I'll return, but I don't want to continuously push myself when I know that my mind isn't in it. My tatkar is not going to be useful to me if I'm not meditating on the lehra, if I'm not meditating on the footwork. It's really not doing anything to me. It's just motions with my feet. So. I stopped the letter, I took out my phone, opened my notes app and wrote down what I was feeling. And I wrote them down in bullet points. And I recommend this to other people who are struggling with the same thing. Write it out, take a notepad and write down what is kind of stopping you from progressing through your rias today and, and write it down. I think this helps me visualize what I'm going through in my mind. Um, it, the, it, it seems so much bigger in my mind, but when I see it on paper, it's actually a very concrete thing that I can easily deal with if I give myself the time and the respect and the patience to do so. The other thing I do is that I perhaps rethink that is this what I really want to practice today? You know, I like other Kathak dancers attempt to do my riyas every single day. Um, and it's important to try to find a way to do riyaz that isn't so so painful for you. So, you know, I usually alternate. Some days I'll practice abhinaya, some days I'll practice the basics, like my basic hastaks, some days I'll practice just footwork. Well, if footwork is kind of not really working well for me today, and I'm not finding the motivation to go through it, does that mean that I have to not touch kathak today, or can it mean that I can do something else in kathak that would require less of me today, less of my less of my um, less of my mental strength today? And so, for me, that's abhinaya. For me, um, I I love doing abhinaya. It can be stressful, but can also be really fun sometimes. And so, just alternative ways to work around it. Basically, giving yourself the power. This is your Riyadh session. This is your room. This is your time. This is you. So. There's no such thing as if you don't do Riyaz this way, you're never going to be a good Kathak dancer. It's more about, this is me. This is my practice. This is my time. I should make the most of it the way I would like to. So that feeling of empowerment is something that I hope other people can um, can really start utilizing if they haven't already. And they also struggle with being 100% mentally in your Riyaz like I do from time to time.
0: I see. And I guess if you if you do that, you kind of, what you said is give power back to yourself instead of giving that power to other people to judge you in some way.
1: Absolutely.
0: 100%. So Dharika now ji, now that we've talked about mental barriers to Kathak, have there been any physical obstacles that you've had to overcome over time?
1: Yes, there have. In fact, um, I have a condition and it's called femoral antiversion. And uh, it's basically the inward twisting of my femur or my thigh bone. So just to give some context, because um, it's important uh, that we discuss, you know, the physical challenges in the dancer's body. Kathak is such a versatile art form, you know, where we're not just Kathak artists, we're musicians, we're mathematicians, we are philosophers, we are critical thinkers, but above all, we are dancers, and dance is a form of the expression of the human body, and we have to understand our dancer's body and care for it but sometimes we have challenges that our bodies just cannot control. So when I was younger, my parents noticed that I was walking in a way that didn't look normal. While most people walk with their feet either pointed straight ahead or outwards, my feet were pointing completely inwards. And I didn't know this before, but it's quite common in toddlers and eventually with constant correction and awareness, it corrects itself. So my mom kept correcting me, just like she herself um, had this uh, condition as well as her mother, so it was um, in the genetics. However, I am currently 23 years old and my condition has not improved. And to this day, I still naturally walk pigeon toed. That's the terminology for um, your feet turning inwards. And so at first, it didn't necessarily matter. Um, but when I started to go into more advanced chapters of Kathak, and started to work on my dancer's body, I started to notice it affect my. Dancing because in kathak, one thing we heavily emphasize is ang or posture. So everything from the neck to the hands to the feet. And my condition, femoral anteversion, is the inward twisting of my thigh bones. So it's not just my feet that gets affected, but it's also my hips, my thighs, my knees. Everything just works in the opposite direction for me, um, which caused a lot of my kathak movements to look. Rather questionable or incorrect, and sometimes, quite frankly, even comical. Um, and uh, this definitely was a barrier to not just my Riya sessions, but my overall growth as a dancer because my mother, um, you know, understood what I was going through and she was strict with me, but she understood that this is a condition that I have. However, there are many teachers, especially in India, who had never seen this before in their lives. With, with you know, a strong mental focus, I can turn my feet outwards and maintain a correct posture in Kathak, but I have to do it voluntarily, meaning it's not natural for me. And so sometimes teachers would see me turn my feet inwards and then turn my feet back to normal. So they would think that I'm doing the inward twisting on purpose. So they would scold me, they would yell at me, they would accuse me of not caring enough, they would constantly constantly ask me to just do it normally you know just turn your feet outwards it's not that difficult and no matter how many times I kept trying to say that this is not a condition that can be fixed um, it just wasn't recognized and you know what my condition is one that is rather um, it's it's rare in the sense that I am more antiverted than most people are but I know that there are many Gothic dancers who are dealing with challenges that are even more daunting and more difficult to overcome than just femoral antiversion. And I know how much it's affected me and, and my self-esteem. It's caused a lot of pain for me because I want to see myself dance in the way that I see other people dance. And sometimes it's just so difficult for me to achieve that. And so I, I have a lot of sympathy for people who are struggling with with conditions that are like mine or that cannot be fixed. Um, And I hope that we kind of have a more inclusive mentality a more patient mentality when it comes to these kinds of things in general.
0: And I know that um, physical conditions come in a lot of shapes and forms, but do you have uh, any advice to give to people who are say, dealing with the physical condition and trying to do Kathak in terms of dealing with it like you had for C Yes. Doesn't?
1: Absolutely. Um, for me, what really worked for me, and um, again, I, I'm very privileged to say that I have the, the means to afford physical therapy and that um, I have the proper health insurance to cover physical therapy. And so I am currently with a physical therapist who is also a dancer. She's a ballet dancer and um, uh, she actually, it's funny, she has my condition as well, but the opposite, so she has femoral retroversion, so her her um, hips are naturally twisted uh, very much outwards, and she cannot move her feet inwards, which is the opposite of my condition, but she um, she also had the same type of um, consequences with her ballet teachers growing up where her ballet teachers wouldn't recognize that it's, a, it's a, a legitimate condition that cannot be fixed and that she is working hard above everything else to really achieve the dancers look that her ballet teacher wanted her to have. And so it's really nice to talk with someone who understands this experience. Um, I know of other dancers who have also recommended physical therapy for other problems that they're experiencing in their body. Um, if, if you have the means to afford it, I think it's a very great option. Um, but in general, uh, definitely, again, going back to being patient with yourself and giving yourself the power in your RIA sessions, if you know that something isn't right for your body, shouldn't do it um if you know that something is going to cause you pain tread carefully um and in in general we need to be more open-minded and we need to let our gurus really understand that there are different possibilities with the human body and that uh they need to be patient with that as well. So creating a culture amongst ourselves as young dancers so that when we become gurus later on in our lives that we are more aware of these conditions is also going to be very helpful.
0: Okay, Uh, yeah, I mean, that's really powerful stuff. Um, I'm just thinking about that and thank you for sharing that. I really like that. And I guess, uh, yes, I know that your mom is, your mother, Prima J. is so one of your main gurus and we're mm. going to talk about her at length. But have there been any other gurus in your life that you learned from that have been influential to you?
1: Yes, I'm very blessed to have um, learned from uh, the legendary Padma Vibhushan Pandit Birju Maharajji and his uh, direct disciple Sashwati Sen, uh, Ji, whom I, who we lovingly call as Sashwati Didi. I, have so much love and respect for these gurus. They came into my life four years ago. Um, I had stumbled across a, uh, a workshop for Maraji in New York in 2016. And from there on, they got to meet me. They um, got to come to Houston that same summer and work with my mother as well as several other schools in um, the Southern part of the U.S. And uh, ever since then, I have really dedicated my college winter breaks to go to India um, as much as I can to, to learn from them and to train in Kalashram, which is Maharaji's um, academy for for Gathak. So I'm very privileged to have that opportunity and really um, admire both of them a lot.
0: So I guess uh, to follow up on that, and since you've grown up as a diasporic dancer and you also had the experience of... Training in India. What did you feel was different between training in the U in, say, Houston versus training in India?
1: So I think that's a really great question. I notice a lot of differences in when I trained in India versus here with my mom, and I think a big one is the regularity of classes. Um, I think that in India. I noticed that they at least train two to three times a week at at the least. And that's just Maharaji school. And that, that doesn't include the informal training sessions that you get when you actually do Guru Seva for the guru and you are sitting in his home and you are observing the guru and, and you're learning with them every single day. But besides that, two to three classes a week as a minimum, whereas here in the US, um, my mom at least is only able to accomplish one class a week. Um, she's not able to do more just because the students don't have the availability. You know, like here, the the primary focus is to, for I guess young students, is to get into a, a good college and to really establish a good career. I mean, um, I remember being younger and trying to gain acceptance to the top universities in the country, the average high school student is gonna juggle katha classes, tennis lessons, Girl Scout meetings, speech and debate practice and more. Because we're taught to think about our futures and unless katha can be a viable salary providing career, it can be no more than something we just do casually. And then at that point, why, um, why pay uh, for, for, more, for more sessions a week? Um, when it's not a really big priority for you. Whereas I saw kind of a different culture where even if it was a hobby for some people and they weren't putting to take it as a career, they were still, uh, there was still a different level of motivation for coming to class multiple times a week. It was just the norm, it was expected. I saw gurus um, get angry with students who had missed multiple classes in a row. Um, whereas here, we're just really happy if you show up once a week. Um, I think also the language is a big barrier, right? Like I uh, learned in a formal class setting with many other individuals uh, with my mom. I never learned from her privately. Um, but many of the other individuals came from non Hindu, um, English speaking families. And even I myself mostly grew up speaking English at home. Um, so the subtle poetic phrases found in Tumris and Guzzles. Were often difficult to understand, which can sometimes restrict certain aspects of abhinaya that are needed for a fulfilling depiction. But in order to overcome these language and uh, religious and cultural barriers, my mom would really try to spend a lot of the class time explaining aspects of Indian culture in great detail. She would draw figures of Radha and Krishna using coloring books to help us visualize these figures and later internalize their personifications in our choreographies. Um, So even though it was difficult to understand nuances of Indian culture, um, we were still able to find a love for it. I just find that uh, in India, because the culture was already there, not only that, but there's more enthusiasm. So everybody, all the Gothic dancers in India kind of know each other and know of each other, even if they're from different schools, where here in the US, I feel like we're still, we're now starting to get to know each other, right? Like you saw in the Kathak meetup um, just this past month that you and I were able to meet and so were other other, other Kathak dancers able to meet as well. But that's just now happening um, in, the, in the past uh, three to five years. So I'm curious to see how more of a connection between all of us can facilitate perhaps a similar learning environment that there is in India.
0: Yeah. And I guess since we are talking about the Kathak meetup and since I've only been there once, could you tell us a little bit about what is Kathak meetup and were there any other spaces that you found where it's been easy to meet other Kathakers in the U S?
1: Yes. So the Kathak meetup is a monthly session. It is uh, founded by Uh, Barkha Patel and Sarika Praswad, who are both Kathak dancers, very talented Kathak dancers in the New York, New Jersey area. They uh, began this initiative, I believe, back um, early last year. Sorry, not early last year, early this year, late last year, somewhere around that time. And it was for dancers in the New York, New Jersey area to come in one space once every month for a two-hour session. The first hour of the session is for Riyas. That's led by someone in the group, doesn't have to be the same person and doesn't have to be anyone of a particular level, it can be anyone. And the second hour of the session is for discussion on any topic um, and anyone can lead it just like anyone can lead Riyas. So this way, people are getting to know each other, they're getting to network with each other and they're able to learn about how Kathak is practiced and thought about in, within different gurus. And uh, after the pandemic hit, um, Barkha and Sarika Didi actually opened it up on Zoom. So now people from all over the country are able to join the Kathak Meetup, including myself, people from California, um, people like yourself, from Aji. And so uh, it's been a really great experience so far. I try to join um, every month if I can. And I think besides that, I think other Kathak Meetups are starting to also Um, take place in other parts of the US. So I know that there is a um, Bay Area Kathak meetup. I think I saw one in Salt Lake City, um, and a Midwest kind of Kathak meetup. Um, There isn't one here in Texas. Um, I should probably start one. That would be really, really fun. But um, another way that I got to meet other Kathak dancers personally and has really changed my life in that sense was the New York Kathak Festival. Um, It was a three-day event filled with performances, workshops, and seminars, um, and networking that allowed many second-generation dancers like myself to meet individuals who have made Gathak a priority. Um, And so it was a really great uh, way for me to meet other Gathak dancers. I uh, performed there in April of 2019, and I believe that they're going to be continuing to uh, host their uh, festival every year around the same time depending on how the pandemic is able to um, uh, uh, help them navigate that. But I think those two are a really great initiative started by very passionate Kathak dancers and I hope that we as a community can create more as time goes on.
0: Uh, and since you mentioned the New York Kathak Festival and performing there could you tell us a little bit about what you performed at the NYKF?
1: Yes um, I'm very passionate about that performance. It's I'm also very emotional about it. So at the New York Tatak Festival, um, I really wanted to bring my mom, who is my primary guru to the stage. Um, I really wanted to create a piece of my own that honored her in a way. Um, I was able to compose a, a piece that compared my mother to Goddess Devi. Um, Goddess Devi is a very prominent figure in our religion. She has two sides of her. One is Shakti, which is her fierce destroyer of evil. And one is Matri, which is her loving, maternal, nurturing side. And she is both. And we worship her as both. My mother is sometimes, as a guru, very strong, very forceful, very strict but then she can easily turn to become my mother and be loving and nurturing. And um, this this, uh, dynamic that both Goddess Devi as well as my mom have really inspired me to create a Kathak piece that celebrated this. Um, And what I did was that I divided it into two parts. One part was a technical, a showcase of technical compositions in a rhythm called Dhamar, which is a 14-beat strong rhythm that is used to depict uh, the 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 more strong deities in our religion. So Shiva, Durga are all pretty much depicted in Dhamar. We have very heavy, strong bowls. Ga di da, di, da, da very very strong bowls. But then for the second part of my performance, I transitioned into Rupak, which is a seven-beat rhythm. And it's very sweet, very lighthearted. Di, di, na, di, na, di, na. Very sweet, very lighthearted. So, Dhamar was supposed to represent Goddess Devi in her Shakti aura, and Rupak was supposed to depict Goddess Devi in her Matri aura. And I continuously made um, comparisons to my mom and her behavior and how she acts in her normal day life. Um, within that performance. And so I showed compositions that were very strong in Dhammar that reminded me of perhaps my mom yelling at me for never cleaning my room. So uh there's a a baran da da taka tunga da ge denta. And every time I heard the da 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 that really inspired me to uh, uh choreograph of uh, her her yelling at me um, through that bandish. And then in Rupak, um, my mom actually sang a bandish of my great-grandmother's, who was my mom's primary guru, Srimati Shanti Sahai Nalani. And uh, it was a a really beautiful um, uh, stuti, or a vandana, of Goddess Devi in her Madhuri role. And so it was a really beautiful performance, um, one that I got to perform again here in Houston later on. And uh, one that I really want to continue to work on um, for, for many years, because I think it can be stronger and better in different ways, but it was very emotional for me and my mom to be on the stage at the same time. She was a, a parent artist for me, so she had to um, hold back tears <laughs> as uh, I, I was talking about her um, on stage, and it was a really special moment that I got to share with her.
0: Thank you for sharing that story with us of being on stage with your mom at the, at the festival. And I guess, so I understand the perspective of you composing this and being very personal to you at the same time, you're on the stage where the audience is your peers and it's Kathakas from around the world who've gathered. Was it different performing to Kathakas instead of say like a general audience?
1: That's a really interesting question. I think, I think absolutely. Um and, and the biggest difference was that people in the Kattak Festival, the 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 biggest compliment that I got was that they really, really enjoyed the concept. They really enjoyed how I creatively thought of utilizing my mom and Devi in a way that is still conducive to lay and rhythm in Kathak as I was able to translate my feelings and my thoughts into dhamar and rupak. Um, Kathak is truly, I believe that Kathak is a type of an art form that of course, is very technical in nature, very complicated in nature. And I like that part of it, but it's meant to depict stories. its its It's meant to be a storytelling art form and it's meant to really capture the um, emotion of a dancer and when the audience can feel that and they can also understand the work that I put in behind that to make them feel that, that was a really uh, a, a really fulfilling moment for me. Um, and of course, you know, I I wasn't really, I, I, I have a lot to work on in terms of my rendition and in terms of my bara, and then in terms of my actual uh, physical movements I need a lot of work and I'm very much... Uh, going to keep working on that forever, but I really credit the fact that I'm able to to think in this way in general, to my mom who is a very creative thinker herself. Um, and um, when I was in Houston, I think because the community knows my mom and they know my relationship with her, it was a very much um, much more of an emotional touch rather than, uh, they're able to really fully understand the compositions that I'm doing. It's more about that I am taking the time on stage to really try to honor my mom. I think everybody really personalized that because the way I feel about my mom is actually the way every single one of her students and their parents feel about my mom too. And so I think we all got to share that feeling together in that auditorium. So both the Guthic Festival and performing here in Houston, um, such a special piece that I hope to keep performing and, and keep sharing with everyone.
0: It's amazing. And I hope you get to feel new things every time you perform it as well. Would love to know yeah. where this goes. And since you're talking about Houston, since you're talking about mom, I guess now is a great time to talk about her academy, uh, the Shivangani Academy of Performing Arts. So could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, absolutely. So my mother has been, Um, the Artistic Director of Shivangari Academy of Performing Arts for um, almost the past 25 years now. She had the privilege of learning primarily under her grandmother, as I mentioned, Srimati Shanti Sahai Nalani. My great-grandmother was a very um, well-known literary figure in Lucknow during the time that she was alive. She was a poetess, she was a vocal artist, a writer, an instrumentalist, a Kathak dancer, and overall a very talented individual. She lived a very long life and just passed away recently in her mid 90s. But it was so amazing to see her thriving in her artistry up until her um, last breath. So living in the same home as my as her grand as her grandmother, my mom was able to learn not only individual art forms, but also develop a great passion for teaching and for uh, being an entrepreneur as well. So when she got married at 1994 and moved to Houston with my dad. She always knew that she was going to be starting a dance school. It was her dream to do so, but it was, it's so difficult for me to imagine what her life might've looked like because she was only 22. I'm currently 23. And I know that if I had to suddenly get married and move to a different country and start a dance school, um, yeah, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Don't know how I'd be able to do that, but she didn't know anyone. I mean, She was exposed to a new country and therefore a brand new culture. And in a place where you don't have any connections or a network to build off is extremely daunting. And I think many gurus who immigrate from other countries and try to bring their culture to the US face similar experiences. Um, Not to mention that at the time of settling here in the Houston area, Kathak did not have a sizable presence here at all. Um, There was a, a, a rather large Indian classical dance scene um, Houston is home to several world-renowned Bharatnatyam, Kuchipuri, and Odyssey instructors, very inspirational and dedicated gurus who had been established in the Houston area long before my mom arrived. But if people wanted to enroll their children in Indian classical dance, there really wasn't anything besides these art forms um, to learn. And so I remember being like five or six years old with my little brother who was barely 16 months and overhearing my mom trying to explain to a prospective student on the phone that Kathak is not the same thing as Kathakali. And then after that, Kathak is not the same thing as Bollywood. And um, I, 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 I've I, grown up listening to her explain it over and over again. And I think now kind of where we are now, there are other Kathak schools that are also in the Houston area. So I'm really glad to see that there is more of an awareness of Kathak here um, throughout the country as well it's really love uh, really beautiful to see um, my mom was able to start off with teaching just two students in her tiny apartment in downtown houston and then now 25 years later she has a full academy where she teaches Kathak dance Dholak, and tabla and she has probably taught over like 600 students in the houston area over the course of 25 years so she has um, earned a lot of respect within the community, and uh, of course, one of my uh, one of my biggest mentors and inspirations.
0: That's amazing that you know six hundred students have learned from her. So, and since you're you're probably the best person to ask this, uh, what are the what do you th- feel are the characteristics that your mom has that, ge- that has enabled a lot of students to come to her and learn from her.
1: Yeah, you know, um, that's, a, that's a really, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you asked me that because, and I, I'm going to try not to cry when I talk about this because um, there's a lot, there's a lot in my mom. Um, my mom is so much more than just a dance teacher or a dolak teacher or a Tabla teacher, you know, the relationship may start that way with her, but her presence in your life ends up growing into something much greater. You know, I think from my great-grandmother, my mom was able to learn a lot more than just the individual art form. She learned um, how to be a successful entrepreneur. She learned how to understand interpersonal communication skills, um, thinking outside the box, cultural and traditional values. And I think most importantly, self-confidence. Um, she becomes a mentor to you more than anything else. She becomes... The first person you text when you finally get that new job position that you work so hard for. She becomes the person you invite to speak at your wedding. You know, she becomes the person who stays on the phone with you when you're about to make a difficult heartbreaking decision and that you're in need of a guiding voice. She's someone who laughs with you when you tell her about the crazy stories, stories of college She's someone who's strict with you when she knows that you have the potential to be a better version of yourself than you are now. And, you know, when I say all these things, you might think I'm talking about myself, but I'm not. I'm talking about every single one of her students. She creates a unique relationship with each one of her students. She currently has over 200 and every single one of her students has a relationship with her that is personal. Um, they are on a texting basis with her. Uh, they um, they make her a part of their families. And I think, you know, my mom doesn't advertise. She is not on social media. She's very media shy. She um, was so uh, surprised that I would even be on here talking about her because she herself is not on media. And she doesn't like it <laughs> when anybody kind of talk so much about her in this way, but she truly deserves it. I mean, there, there, there are no words to describe the kind of person my mom is. And I think when you have a guru who is so willing to see the potential inside of you and grow that, you know, it's, it's, it's not about, my mom is a talented person, but she's not interested in showing her students what she knows. She's interested in making her students realize what they know and cultivating that and developing that and becoming successful even if it's not in kathak anything, their dream jobs, their, their leadership roles in their future, she wants everybody who learns from her to leave the school thinking that they are worth something so amazing and I think that's a really really powerful message that um, especially as a female instructor to give to students And so I think other people in the community realize that and um, they, I think word of mouth just kind of was on my mother's side these past 25 years. And um, I truly think that it's her personality and her ability to be a a wonderful teacher and a a great mentor that's made her so successful today.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Dharika. Thanks for being so vulnerable and telling me about your mom is and the fact that she spilled so much on just words of mouth is very commendable i guess so since we've talked about uh, you overcoming obstacles and having your mom as a as a guru as well uh and i know something you like to talk about is dancing privilege so could you tell us a little about what that means to you
1: so dance privilege is the concept of having some advantages that you might have as a dancer that other people might not have that would make you significantly more successful than the average dancer. This is really personal to me because I look at mostly social media because that's kind of where the dance community is kind of able to come together and really see what everyone else is doing. And I sometimes look at myself I strongly believe that as a dancer, it's so much more than your art that's going to take you far, especially if this is gonna be your career. Your environment plays a big role. Do you have family that supports your dance career? Do you you have a a life at home that allows you to do riyaz in a way that will help you build a practice? Um, How are you positioned? Are you someone who is well known in your community um, in this type of an industry, you have to put yourself out there and market yourself. So are you well connected with influential people who can help you market yourself? Um, what assets do you have besides your art? Do you have money? Um, for me, I know that I have a full time job in addition to being a Kathak dancer. And so as someone who is earning a steady income. You know, I'm, I may be able to afford some of the things that other Kathak dancers in the US might not be able to, such as frequent flights to India, where I can train with some of the best gurus in the world, or uh, the ability to purchase new costumes for myself, um, or the ability to even hire a stage or an auditorium for me to showcase my work. Um, I have a family that has 100% from the day I was born, really hoped and really advocated for me to love the arts um, as well as anything i want to do in my life they've always supported me so whether i'm a financial planner or i'm a biologist or i'm a kathak dancer both my parents were always so supportive not every not every kathak dancer has a family who will do that And I think that adds a lot to whether or not you're able to really empower yourself as a dancer. I mean, you know, I am a financial planner by profession and typically traditionally my role is supposed to be one that um, markets themselves for acquiring new clients and managing their portfolios for them. Now what stands, what would stand, what would make you stand apart from all the other financial advisors out there? What kind of tactics, what kind of methods are you going to use to promote yourself um, so that you stand out against other people? And would you maybe have an edge on other people because of who you are in the community? 100% is the same way for Guthak, And I definitely have that privilege being my mom's daughter, being someone who is well known, um, having the ability to afford things like physical therapy to help my feet and to help me become a stronger dancer um having the freedom to not need to market myself if you look at my instagram and my social media page right now there are very few kathak videos that i actually post um uh, throughout the time of dancing because i don't need to um i don't need to market myself as a kathak dancer to earn an income because i have an income um i have an income that also allows me to work from home during a pandemic that in turn gives me the flexibility to do riyaz any time of the day whereas i know a lot of people who have full-time jobs don't have the time to do that type of riyaz that i can do so I think it's important that as we try to become a closer knit community, a, a closer gatha community, right, where we are learning about each other, where we are empowering each other, that we are making sure that we're being inclusive, we are being uh, we are acknowledging all the privileges that we have. Um, I haven't gone even gone into gender um, and and religion and, and caste. That are still a part of the privileges that dancers have today, um, that could definitely influence your career as a performer, what opportunities you get, um, how people perceive you, the way you are treated in your dance classes by your peers. All of this plays a huge role, and I, I really wish that we as a community talked about it more. I feel like we're still a bit quiet on it, and I think. As someone who has these privileges, I feel like it's my duty to redistribute as much as I can. Um, Whatever I learn from my classes in India, I try to teach all of it with their permission back here in the States to my mom's students. Um, My mom and I have an agreement that she is not going to give me any private lessons ever. So even though I have the privilege of having a guru in my own home, um, we have this mutual understanding that if I have a question or that if I really want to learn something in particular, I have to bring it up in class so everyone can learn with me. Um, so I have not received a private lesson from her since I was 18 and that was for my um, my graduation ceremony from my, from my mom's school. Um, in terms of wealth and being able to afford these things, um, it's important to me that I continuously empower, um, students donate to funds that are helping artists, um, donate to funds that are helping communities that are underprivileged in a dance community and, um, using my voice to really stand up for people who I feel like are not really well represented here. And so this is, these are really small things that I'm doing. Um, I can do a lot more and I'm I really rely on the Kathak community at large to help me in doing that. It's really important to me. Um, Everyone should be able to have the same opportunity to become a good Kathak dancer, a successful Kathak dancer, to have a a loving patient guru relationship, to have a family that supports them. And I wish that we were in a society that did that and hope that we reach there someday.
0: That's interesting because, uh, well, you talked about the awareness of privilege and the actions you can take as a, when you have that awareness, I guess a couple of things I wanted to touch upon is that you're in a very unique position where you're, you, you're, you're a student and you're an assistant instructor, but more than anything else, you're kind of learning how to become an instructor. Yeah. Uh, so and since you're still, you know, learning with your mom and with the academy. So could you tell us what it's like to learn how to be an instructor?
1: Yeah, it's it's very difficult. And um, you know what, when I was younger, I wouldn't take it as seriously as I do now. My mom has always run her school on the value of mentorship. She always encourages her students to attend her classes and volunteer to help teach. She believes very strongly that, teaching is actually a form of learning in disguise, and that until you truly know something properly, you can't effectively teach it. So you are essentially forced into doing Riyaz, which ultimately helps you as a dancer. So when I was 18, I had just graduated from high school and started to attend my mom's classes. I really tried to help teach, but Quite frankly, I wasn't very proactive. Um, I my mom used to say, you know, I I'm I'm glad you could make a presence today in class, but you know, you're rather useless here. I I don't really I don't really need someone who will sit down um, and just watch. I need someone who will be proactive about teaching. And that when she kept saying, you know, be proactive about teaching, I couldn't understand what that meant at first. You know, I would just wait on my mom to tell me, you know, can you, can you explain something or, or here, can you, can you get up and show this hastak or show this movement or show this dokra And I would kind of just rely on that. And not only that, but when I actually started to teach, um, I wasn't very polished. I wasn't very confident. Um, I, I think I was also a bit bossy <laughs> and uh, I, I was still learning a lot about how to be, how to be me, you know, how, how to be my, my own person before just being a teacher in general, just how to conduct myself in an environment where I have to be a leader and assume authority and not let it get to my head, but rather take it as a sign that I'm learning, you know, it's a sign of humility to be a teacher, in fact. And so I right now am currently in a position where my mom is actively encouraging me to teach. She does so while staying by my side. She is there in the classes while she observes me. I teach. Sometimes I teach um, a full class at a time. Sometimes I'll just teach individual parts of the class. And um, mostly what I try to do and what I've been trying to do and haven't yet mastered is how to, how to be my mom, like, how can I teach in the way my mom teaches? Because the way my mom teaches is in a way that she understands the psychology of children so well, of adults so well. So when she teaches, it's with so much love and with so much patience. And that's what I'm really, really trying to work on right now. Um, I, what, you know, whether or not I can actually do something or, or, or render a para nicely or have good movements is a completely, completely different art. Teaching in itself is a big art. It's cost me a lot of happiness um, that I didn't think I was possible of having. It's um, I always feel so fulfilled after I'm able to teach and my mom, being such a great guru herself, is willing to sit back and let me take the mic and uh, Teach in a way that I feel is correct, and afterwards she will give me feedback. She will tell me what she thinks I did well, when what I didn't do well, and she's also, um, you know, very much willing to work with me in terms of you know what what ideas would I have. But you know, whenever she asks me that, I'm like, well, I, I wish I had your mind, mommy. <laughs> I wish I had. I wish I had the ability to think like you because no matter what, she is still the artistic director. She is still the mastermind of the whole game. Um, If if you see how she teaches, you'll be able to understand what I'm saying. It's extremely unique. Um, And so I am in a mentorship role in which I'm still very much learning, but I'm still teaching. And I think those two can definitely be done together. And I think that other gurus should really try to do this with their students. I mean, I know I feel very empowered. My mom is really trying to get her other students as they're building up in seniority to also have the same opportunity. And um, yeah, it's been such a wonderful experience so far. And I don't think I ever want to stop. I think that this is kind of where I would love to be. She is trying to um, have me in a place where I have a bit more responsibility um, day by day. But I really like the arrangement that we have now where she's still very much in control. And I, I would want that forever. Um, I would, I would, I would really, I, I really love the way she teaches and hope to embody that someday.
0: And as you are in your teaching journey, just starting out kind of in a way, have there been any moments that are kind of light bulb moments in your teaching that have, that, that stand out to you that you want to talk about?
1: Yes, definitely. I think one, one moment comes to mind and, um, it was a moment, I think three, four years ago, I was like 18 and a half years old, or I think close to 19. And, um, there was a, a lari pattern that we were doing. A, a lari is a, a footwork pattern that is, um, usually goes over multiple of our thuns and ends in the tihai. And, uh, there was a particular spot where, the students kept messing up, like it would go and they would keep messing up in the middle. And uh, my mom, you know, gave me, gave me the opportunity to say, you know, fix it, see what, see what they're doing wrong and fix it. Now I was still very young. I was a little bit immature and uh, any ounce of authority anybody would give me, I probably didn't do a good job of it. So, you know, I started to yell at the students. I was like, you know, we guys, we we have done this so many times before. We just did this last class. Why aren't you guys getting it? Um, Here it is. It's takita takita gina. And then it's gina takita takita. It's very simple. Now you try. And obviously the students didn't get it (laughs) because my style of teaching wasn't effective, nor did they understand still what the problem was. So they still kept making the same mistake. So my mom was quiet. She was watching me, but she was quiet. And when we went home that day, I felt super proud of myself. Like, wow, I was the authoritative teacher figure. Um, I'd solved it. They're, they're now going to practice all day and the, the night. And uh, next time when they come to class, they will be all prepared with their Lurry fixed. My mom never said anything. She didn't, she didn't tell me this was bad, this was good. And that kind of worried me. And the next class, the student showed up again. My mom said, OK, show me this lari. They did it. They did it wrong. Very calmly and with a lot of love, mm-hmm. my mom just simply said, OK, how about this? We are going to do the lari 15 times. We're going to do it with Shivanti. Shivanti will stand in the front. You will stand behind me. We're going to watch my feet very closely. And then I want to see who is being the smartest girl here who can really try to understand what Shivanti is saying. And if you don't get it, we'll try again. And I was looking at my mom and I rolled my eyes because I was like, oh come on. They're not, they're they're still not gonna get it. But sure enough, at the end of class, they all got it.
0: Wow, oh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty good.
1: <laughs> you know, it was, it was one of those moments where I, and you know, after that from a G my mom still never said anything to me. She was, she, she never said, see, see, see what I did and see what you did. See, you were so wrong. I was so right. She didn't have that mentality. She knew I would understand. Right. So I think, you know, me, because I, it it, it wasn't, and I think she did that from a G I think she did that because she wanted me to see how she is teaching other people without any type of animosity or hostility. And she's not gonna do that to me either, as someone who's learning under her. She's not gonna yell at me. She's not gonna be someone who has all this tension with me. She will, she knows that if she's patient with me, I will understand, just like her students understood this concept of Luddy. So that really stood out to me. And now, even though you know, I'm still, I'm still really working on uh, manifesting that love that she has for her students because it's so pure, that that's the way to go. That, that's the way to do it. Um, and I, you know, there, there's so many other light bulb moments, but this one really stands out to me. I, I, I still, I still think about myself and I can't, I can't believe how, how immature I was and um, definitely learn from that mistake and try to be a better teacher now.
0: That's interesting. So since I'm just a year into Kathak like I would like to understand what happened here a little bit. So was it just about being more compassionate or that the students also got more repetition in which helped them build the practice? What do you think was different about that class that just helped them nail it right there and I then?
1: I think it was the patience. I see. I think, it, I think it was the fact that my mom had the patience to sit with them and to understand that the problem that was happening wasn't a result of their incompetence or because they're bad dancers or because they're not doing their rias. It's because they're just simply not able to, they haven't, they haven't understood the concept in a way that allows them to practice it naturally, right? Like so many times we learn compositions and we learn them in parts and then we have to put them all together right and some and it's not always easy some people might get it immediately but kathak is one of those art forms that i really feel like requires deep introspection requires repetition and requires meditation on the movements sometimes in order for you to get it it's not intuitive to everybody and what i was doing is making it known to other people that i find it so intuitive why can't you right but that's not the way to be a guru. That's not the way to instill trust in your students. That's not the way to help them really want to learn what you are so passionate about. That just makes them angry and and fearful. That just makes them go home and not wanna come back to class again. You can be strict, you can be forceful, but you can do so in a way that is patient and loving, and out of good intentions. My intention, now looking back, seriously, my intention was not to really help them fix their lurry. It was to shame them for not having gotten it. And that's not right. And I think we think sometimes that, okay, you know, we, we, dancers who know so much, dancers who are talented in their respective fields, dancers who can do this composition, that composition, have this much knowledge of style, this much knowledge of uh, everything. Those are the best teachers. That's not true. Being a performer and being a teacher, being an artist and being a teacher, are very, very different things. Teaching is an art on its own. You have to really, really want to selflessly give the art to someone and have them take it higher than you. That should be the goal. Your students should go higher than you. And I think that's something that my mom really values so deeply that to her, you know, the more the main concern is that these students need to understand that they are capable of understanding, that they can get it, that it's not them. They can get it, they can do it. They just need someone who will be patient. And that's what my mom is. And so now, someone like myself, who I'm very fast paced, very aggressive in nature. I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm always busy. I'm always doing stuff. I have to really bring myself down sometimes. And my mom can do that so naturally. Um, and I hope to learn that from her.
0: That's amazing. And I really liked what you talked about your students surpassing you because I don't, yeah, I, I, that's a really good mentality to have as an instructor yeah and uh Tarikaji, we are at time i'm looking forward to what you do Tarikaji. i hope to stay connected with you this was a great conversation i learned a lot and if you ever have another open tatkar practice please let me know i'll be the first to join
1: That's lovely, Brahmaji. It was so great to speak with you. Um, Thank you so much for having me on your platform. I think it's a really great initiative, and I'm so excited to see the other Katab dancers that you bring on to your podcast.